Hello and welcome to Null Pointers with your hosts, Mark, Stephen, and Gerald. On today's episode, we'll be talking about AI, aka how to lay the foundation for Skynet. So stay tuned. So it seems all the news topics these days, when it goes around mobile, the new Galaxy Fold has just come out. Um, so just around the corner with the new Surface Duo, which also has just been released. And I also saw that the flip phone are getting a revival. Uh, again, I think Samsung, and you can even have a Motorola Razr uh, as a flip phone. Stephen, what are your thoughts on these new cool devices? Will you get one anytime soon? I will probably not get one, but I would like a flip phone revival. I always felt like a gangster flipping that thing open. And... <laughs> I like the the one that they use in the Matrix, that 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 Nokia that went like it went open with like a a spring or something, so it was like. Chuck! went open like i remember that one i think for the movie they actually especially prepped one of those nokia phones and then a few months years later nokia actually brought out a phone which you could have that button with a spring which then i don't know i think for myself uh seeing the seeing the videos about the new galaxy uh fold which is which you can fold out into a tablet i i sort of like it i don't know why uh if it wouldn't P for Android, and uh, I, I might even be intrigued for getting one. That is until we'll probably see the price tag, which then again, yeah, it's a spiral thing. But uh, I see, I see, it's, it can be quite interesting to to have a phone and a tablet in the same device. Uh, but right now, I'm also very intrigued by the flip phones. I don't know; they just have got that certain feel aesthetic thing that you can shut your phone again and just like flip it open whenever somebody calls you. I totally agree with you, Stephen. It feels really cool or i don't know maybe it's just memories i don't know i don't see myself using it yet like with the service duo and stuff it's it looks pretty cool and in theory it sounds good like you know you have a phone and then you do and then you have a tablet and you have more space and things but i don't know i don't know am i seeing correctly that that motorola razor is over two thousand euros yeah, yeah, probably yes, yes. But I mean, you get the Mark is like, yeah, hand. yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. Here's my money. Just take it. I mean, two thousand yeah, dollars. Yeah. I'm making two thousand dollars while making this podcast episode. Come on. <laughs> oh no, it's it's be cheaper. Nice. Sorry, it's cheaper. It's around a thousand, apparently. Yeah, but I mean, you know, for that thousand, you get the retro keys. Like when you flip it open, you get like the razor, like used to be a flip phone, the keys, you know, to dial the numbers and stuff. So I don't know. That could be worth it. No, they they're really. The pricing on those things is really steep, and they're they're clearly not yet mainstream. So we might have to hold out for a couple of years until we can even intrigue the thought of getting one without um, having our better parts of the house, aka the wife uh, or the children, uh, telling us, uh, "Yeah, it's not just a, a senseless purchase decision that you just did there." Yeah, it's uh, expensive nostalgia. Talking about nostalgia, let's talk about artificial intelligence. We all remember the boom of AI in the 80s, am I right, Gerald? Yes, I I remember it distinctively. I was swimming around in my mother's womb and I was like, you know, you know what's going to be the next big thing? My birth and AI. Yeah, it's been a long time since then. No, I think we're all a bit too young to remember the first boom of AI. Um, but it actually, AI is not the, the newest kid around the block. So in, 80, the, in the 80s, there actually was really this, this hype about around expert systems. And you just simply had to tell the computer all the rules. Uh, so you type them in. 
Um, I always like to think of that part as just like a huge list of if-else statements or maybe even switch case. And then uh, it would know how the world works and then just simply would take over certain jobs. Unfortunately, uh, one then figured out that the world is quite a complex place and that didn't work. So I guess the next evolution was machine learning, which is kind of a subfield of artificial intelligence. But I think it started, I mean, the boom was maybe in the 80s, but it started way, way earlier, right? Because, uh, I mean, if you, it depends also a little bit, I think, what you think of as AI. But um, if we go way back to somewhere in the 50s, I think, um, and, and even before that, you know, the uh, Mr. Alan Turing, he came up with the Turing test, which is still um, very much uh, relevant at this time, I think. Um, I think they, they actually passed the test at some point. So if you don't know what the Turing test is, that's basically to discover if the AI is going to take over the world because you will be interacting as a human being uh, with a uh, with another human being if you want to do it right. And then halfway through the conversation, because it, it, it happens through text, else you will know uh, that, that it's not a human being. Uh, and halfway through the test, it will be switched out with a computer system. And if the person on the other side doesn't know that that, person has switched for a computer then the task basically has passed because you know the computer is that good that it can fool a human into um, having a conversation with another human you know and with the enigma machine and that kind of stuff and uh, they laid the uh, foundations of the ai field pretty early on by defining a couple of fields like it has to be problem solving it has to be able to see things and not just see things but actually describe the things that it's seeing and and a couple of more and whenever they uh, an ai system reaches all of those it's autonomous and that we are in big trouble yeah it seems like the wish of humans to have a computer helping us in everyday tasks has been a long-held wish and the the turing test you mentioned um, I think it's really interesting how one tries to fool a human to no longer know if it's a computer or a uh, human being on the other end. And maybe some of the listeners have seen these uh, videos that have been made of uh, famous people uh, giving speeches that they have never given on TV. Um, so who knows? Maybe it will be in the future not only text-based, but also you could actually have a live video conference with someone and you have no idea if that is actually an actual person or if it's just a computer and a, a uh, holographic image uh, talking to you. Scary. Yeah, because that's that's the thing that you're talking like the deep fakes and stuff, right? I mean, that's pure magic to me, to be honest. But uh, yeah, so so what you can basically do is have anyone in the world, presidents, famous people, uh, say Aren't all you? kinds of things. Yeah, I mean that's a possibility. Uh, but that's also a thing where it gets really scary, right? So that's the other side of AI. I mean, we joke about it; it's taking over the world. But it it's also now very easy to have the tools into hands of people that might not have the best interest with the world and it's very easy for them to create fake videos where seemingly uh some world leader is saying things that can start a war basically um and that that's not something that is we're saying for fun or is funny but that's that's an actual possibility basically yeah and it's it's also the fact that people who are in inventing that kind of technology are now having to invent technology to detect what they've invented yeah. just now so that that's kind of it blows the mind, kind of, like they made something really cool and now they have to make something to disprove that or something like that. It's, it, it's strange. Yeah, but actually that's that's like, I mean, they don't just use it to detect that, but it's actually used to be, uh, there is 
probably a good term for this, which I don't know, but I've seen a session where it's not actually used for just detecting these things, but also for making it better. So then you have one AI uh, system trying to create counterfeit money um, and you put up another AI system that is trying to detect uh, counterfeit money and they're going to be communicating with each other and racing uh, to on the one hand, creating better uh, falsified money and the other one is trying to detect it up to a point where it's so good that it's probably not detected anymore. So that's also a a method that's used to actually, um, yeah, make these systems better. So uh, it's it's an interesting field. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, swinging back, I think uh, what's, what an AI basically does is it, it tries to apply a certain sets of rules. So... Um, before I mentioned the expert system. And uh, one quickly figured out that having a human needing to teach the computer everything in writing is a quite complex task and will take uh, way too much time. So uh, the next step, which one then came up with, is actually that the computers can teach themselves. So the, the machine learns the rules on its own. And that's then what's generally known as, as machine learning. And I think these days, all the craze is uh, about deep learning. There are some other fields also out there. And so deep learning is, again, a sub field of machine learning. It's a, a specific way how you write those new neurological networks. And usually why it's called deep is it's, it's just got multiple layers of uh, neurons that can be trained, uh, which might bring us on to, to the next uh, thing, uh, which is like neurological networks in general. Um, I've heard multiple times that they are like the human brain. Is that true? Well, no, it's it's not necessarily the same. In the end, uh, it's still a machine doing things. And I think also on, on a human level, a, a brain is impacted by so many things like emotions and, and that kind of stuff that a machine just doesn't have. But it, it really is also a philosophical topic, I suppose, if if a brain is just a computer or not. or I don't think it is because there's so many more things that it can do, even subconsciously, that we don't even know about yet. But it is, it is called a neurological network just because it's inspired by what our, our physical... Uh, makeup is like nerve system and all that stuff and it also it, it i think it learns differently right so it 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 learns by um whenever it there is a failure it will be punished uh -huh. uh, and whenever there is a re uh, whenever it gets it right there is there's is a, a reward so uh that way it it learns basically how uh yeah what what is good and what is bad uh but because that's the the thing with the state of ai right now right i mean again we're uh, love kidding about these, this stuff, but the AI is only as good as the data set that you put in right now. And I think that is the, well, yeah, is it a problem? I don't know. Um, but, you know, if we want to have true AI systems, which are really autonomous, then we have to break away from that at some point. Um, and because it's only as good as the data set that it has right now, what I mean by that is you have a somewhat famous example of the show Silicon Valley, uh, where they are basically, the show is about the road to uh, becoming a millionaire, basically with your million dollar app uh, in Silicon Valley. Uh, but at some point they've invented an app uh, 
where they point the camera at a hot dog and they take a picture and it will tell you, hey, it's a hot dog. So they're like, whoa, mind blown. This this app can detect anything. Uh, and they're saying like, okay, now do the pizza. So he takes a picture of the pizza and then it just says not hot dog instead of, you know, it's a pizza. So, and that's basically what AI is. It can tell you what things are, uh, the, the things that you put in there. If you've only trained your model to be, um, a hot dog, then it knows what a hot dog look like uh, with with some probability, but it can only tell you from other things uh, that it's not a hot dog until you train it with other things as well. I like to think of AI networks as highly specialized in one field. So it's as you said, I mean, you can train it for certain conditions, but if you want to then uh, have a, a, an additional condition that it should be able to recognize, uh, you then sometimes even have to retrain the entire network so that it would uh, detect that. And I think you also touched on a very good uh, point there with the data set. Um, so the, you have like two parts or like three parts, if you want to say, uh, when it comes to artificial intelligence or how you develop them. I mean, and the, the, the founding bits and, and probably the most important bit is or uh, is the data set. So you, the data set that you have, it has to be uh, unbiased. So there are some various news articles where a computer system was biased because the data set it was fed um, was uh, biased in some way. So uh, like if you were a criminal offender and you had a certain, um, I don't know, eye color or maybe nationality, uh, the AI is super lazy. So it wouldn't just say, well, if persons with uh, brown eye color, they usually are great offenders than those with, uh, I don't know, green eyes. And so, yeah, whenever someone comes along with a with a brown eye color, we will just flag him because, yeah, probability is quite high that that's, that's a, an indicator. And you as a human being would just go like, what? Deciding if someone is criminal or not based on the eye color? That's just nonsense. And uh, yeah, so that those are things that you always have to keep in mind uh, with AI and, and it's also something, yeah, which I think often gets overlooked. I mean, usually we know AIs from movies that are super smart and can do everything, but um, that's often not the case. Often they just are good at one thing, like detecting if the streetlight is red or green and uh, that's what they do, nothing else. So yeah. apart from me being in trouble because of my eye color, you mentioned movies, right? So AI in movies always seems like it's it's going to take over the world. And there are hundreds, if not more, movies about this kind of stuff. So I'm just out of curiosity. What, what do you think inspires people to, to always go that way? Like, do we want them to take over? Is that is that what we're after? This is, this is deep, man. This is deep. I was just here for the technical content. Ah, oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's kind of funny because, there, I mean, there's a lot of movies, not only in the AI field that uh, will predict the, the, the downfall of the humankind. Yeah, I don't know. Mark, you, you're the philosopher on, amongst us, so tell us. I might wait. I just got to get my tweet jacket on and my pipe and my tea, <laughs> and then I'm ready to go. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just uh, when uh, pessimists write movie scripts. I don't know. I mean, I think there are also some movies out there where AI actually helps the humans uh, be better at what they're doing i guess others they just want to dream and aspire to something i mean yeah i think that's just the, the thing and the other thing is a cautionary tale that you can see in those negative movies like yeah technology is just not all good i mean you always have to know a bit what's behind it and uh that's uh that's one thing and uh 
Speaking about knowing what's behind it, um, we mentioned before like deep learning. The one problem with deep learning is sometimes you do not know how the neurological network below is actually working. Uh, so you got like no transparency. So you can also you you will also, you, you will only notice uh, from the results uh, how those things come out. But the reason why uh, deep learning is such a hype, it's really good at image recognition. So the you can train a deep learning network, as Gerald mentioned before, to recognize hot dogs. But you can also train it to recognize. Uh, people like if you got uh, your photo album on your phone you might have noticed that it will recommend you hey isn't this uh, your friend max and then you'll go like oh yeah that is actually max how do you do it and that's usually with uh, image recognition so it will learn over time uh, who those various peoples are and then it can uh, assort it can then start to categorize them into different places and the thing is with image recognition and deep learning is it's actually as good as a human so we humans we still sometimes make errors like when you see a person from behind or in a bit of an odd angle you sometimes go up hey how are you doing and then you notice like oh my god this is a total stranger that can still happen with ai but um about the same chance as a, as an actual human being which i think is a is really interesting so what what strikes me as odd as well or at least amazes me in some way is like i have a three-year-old and i have a lot of pictures of him on my phone um but that whole image recognition stuff just it it classifies him from all pictures in those three years so it, it also learns along the way that he's growing up and and it's all classified into the same person so that that kind of stuff in some way scares me a bit but it it's quite amazing actually that it can understand that kind of stuff because obviously in three years one can change a lot at that age going from baby to toddler so yeah at least on the iphone i don't know how it is on android but uh yeah it it does the image recognition and i mean if you go to your your gallery app or photos or whatever it's called then um, and you can just start searching for dog or car or whatever and it will already come back with um, relevant results actually so you're using ai without even knowing it probably um, and it's like you said it also recognizes like people um, and it will i mean it it goes beyond that it will also give you like uh once every once in a while uh, give you some hey here's a new memory and it created some kind of compilation of your photos and 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 even movies uh, into into a compilation with a nice sound under it and it knows the locations uh because of the exif data that's attached uh so it can tell you like hey i mean the other day i got one from hey here's your trip to los angeles and uh you got some nice pictures from there so that's that's also i mean it's a nice innocent application of ai but it's still very cool that that uh can be used that way and and that you're probably using it without even knowing it. yeah i i don't know sometimes it's it's a bit creepy i think when when ai helps you in certain ways uh, especially as just stephen described it with his uh, son um but on on the other hand um there are also some really cool uh, things that i heard of that were done with this image recognition like um i think it was a project uh in africa or india where they wanted to track animal movements and so they hung up microphones in the bush and they then could they they then started to listen to the things like where where elephants were because they make a distinct sounds and that was like super time consuming and so what they did is they uh, projected the sound waves they made images out of it and then they started to teach an ai how the sound wave of an elephant looks and then they could uh, track where the animal movements were 
And that sounded like super cool because now they can process uh, a ton of data and they can even look at it real time if they can see uh, where elephants are. And they could even uh, use it against poachers. Like uh, they then started to uh, detect when, when there was like a shooting in the region. So they, they enhanced that and then they could uh, go, go against those uh, people trying to kill the beautiful animal. Uh, yeah, that's, I think, one story that's uh, really... Uh, shows what what the power can be of using AI in a in a right way. That's really cool, but it's you know it's such a, such a mind. On the on the opposite of that, you can also have like um, I think they're they're actually doing this in in China where they just have cameras on the streets, like millions and millions of them. Uh, I'm not exaggerating here, and they will detect the people that are you know crossing the road when they shouldn't or uh, doing other things they shouldn't, and they have kind of like this point system in place. So whenever you do something bad, uh, you you your points are decreased, and whenever you do something good, like literally one example I think is uh, visiting your uh, parents or your uh, mother-in-law, uh, you will you will increase in points, and depending on those points, you can get better tables at restaurants, or you can open an account with a certain bank. Or, um, and I mean that is scary, man. That is some scary scary stuff right there. If I'm not mistaken, I, f- I want to say that's like a, a prototype that they're running uh, in some city. But there's there there is a Black Mirror episode, which is a yep. series on yeah. on Netflix, where they they highlight this bonus system, like where you get plus good points when you're behaving as a good citizen, and you get negative points uh, when you're not and like you get better houses when you are like a five-star person and it just turns out that everybody becomes super shallow because yeah you always want to impress others how good you are speaking about impressing other people i heard the best thing to do right now to impress another tech fellow is tell how new your gpu is and just how cool it is to use the gpu and all that Gerald, since you and Stephen are both in the in the game world, what is all this hype around the GPUs these days? So GPUs is the new gold. It's it's in the pandemic. It's I think it's more valuable than toilet paper at this point. No, but, but GPUs. I don't know the exact in and outs uh, because the 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 times that I did extensive hardware uh, operations are are way behind me. But GPUs just are much faster at doing certain type of calculations. So probably like matrix calculations because, you know, they have these dimensions that they need to work with uh, when you're playing 3D games because that's, you know, that's why GPUs were invented in the first place. Uh, But it turns out GPUs are also very good at calculating things to uh, mine cryptocurrency. Um, And now also it turns out uh, they're very good at um, calculating things for uh, AI purposes. So uh, a good example, again, uh, which is also very recognizable for uh, the consumers, I think, is uh, NVIDIA is doing a lot of stuff. So I think they were in the news a while ago where NVIDIA has this uh, hardware-enabled uh, solution to remove noise from um, like the microphones we have here in the studio. Um, So, you know, if you, for example, would have a Roomba that's vacuuming the room um, right here uh, in my room, um, then uh, you would hear the noise of the the motor humming, right? Um, And with that GPU, you can basically near real time, there there will always be a slight delay, of course, but that's not noticeable for the people watching. 
uh, on camera. It would filter out that noise because it would know like, hey, that's not something that you want to have on your audio track. So it would remove that. I mean, there's even a YouTube video. I will try to find it and put it in the show notes. There's a YouTube video of a guy literally banging a hammer on his desk uh, and you don't hear it. You can see him do it, and you can't hear it. It's filtered out by the uh, the NVIDIA AI GPU stuff. So that that's very cool. So you know, if it can do that kind of stuff, which is really like uh, some something that people can relate to, uh, you can only imagine how how good it is at at doing other stuff. That yeah, that video that was purely mind blowing. There, uh, I saw it, and I just thought, wow, that's that's really cool. Biggest downside I think of of graphic cards these days is because they are maybe the new gold and the new trading standard. They are super expensive. So a while back, I checked out how expensive one of these super posh uh, GPUs would be, so I could uh, do like some. AI technology at home, maybe. And it turns out it was like over 10,000 bucks. So that was really expensive. And then I checked out uh, how much it would be to rent a GPU like that on the cloud. And it turned out to be a lot cheaper. So uh, I think that's always great to keep in mind that you could actually rent these things, um, which maybe brings us over to the next point in how to get started. So Stephen, what's your favorite way of developing AIs? Yeah, so getting started, I think the one of the very easy ways to do it is using the cognitive services by Microsoft. Um, you can pretty much grab those off the shelf um, as a cloud service, and it, it already allows you to do quite a lot of stuff, like the, the image recognition. I know, for example, Jeff Fritz on his uh, Twitch stream does that with a hat detector. So he has like, I don't know, 50 or more hats, and... He's training his model every day that he streams to recognize the hat that he's wearing. Um, and his, his Twitch viewers can then call the command to see what, what he's wearing. But you also have access to a lot more stuff like the, the language interpretation uh, using Lewis and pretty much all those APIs like vision and speech and text uh, sentiment analysis. A lot of that stuff is fairly easy to set up. Um, there's a lot of samples available as well. And I think to to really get started, that portal for all the cognitive services, which we'll link in the show notes, is a really good starting point, especially if you're in the .NET world. Well, not even .NET, right? I mean, because it's uh, the, the cognitive services are great because what it is basically like everything in in Azure or any other cloud I I can imagine is that you you know you can you can make it as hard or as easy on yourself as you as you would like uh, because you know the cognitive services are just like the top layer of the whole AI thing that you can do in in Azure at least so it uses like shared models so whatever you send in there there's probably some fine print somewhere that it will be used to train the the general models that microsoft has and that's pretty cool because you can benefit from that as well because you don't need to do anything fancy because the cognitive services are just a bunch of rest apis basically you can just send a request with some piece of json and maybe your image or your sound clip or some text and it will give you back the results in a uh, json object as well uh, so that's a very easy thing to start with to make your first steps in in ai and that's pretty cool because it's also then very easy to incorporate into whatever like asp.net because you know you're doing rest uh, calls there anyway uh, into your mobile app because you know uh, you're doing rest calls there anyway um, and it's pretty cool because you can do so much stuff like sentiment analysis or when you're when you're working on an actual app i mean you 
you have all these sensors. You have the cameras, you have text input, you have speech input. So you have all the things that you need to make use of that AI. And uh, the thing that you don't want to do on your mobile app is usually input a lot of data. Um, so it's very great solution to take a piece of input that you do get from your phone, uh, which is uh, which is easy for your user to do, and turn that into something AI-driven to complete that input and um, do the bits that users might not want to do on their mobile device. So that's that's all pretty cool stuff. And when you dig deeper, I, I think you can go into like uh, you know the the frameworks and the things like TensorFlow and and PyTorch and uh, what's there? What's the oh, what's the the iOS one called? Coromel. Coromel. Thank you. Yeah. Do you have any any experience with any of these, Mark? Uh, so I think it's a few years back when AI started to be like a hype and solve all my problems, or so was promised by some websites. I actually went and checked it out. So I I bought myself a book. And I, I really start to go like the super low end level route. So install some TensorFlow on my machine. And uh, I use Keras. Uh, back then, TensorFlow used to be for PhD students, I guess, because it was like super complicated to configure. Uh, with TensorFlow 2, they, they made a lot of improvements there. And with Keras, you could quite easily define your models and then uh, have them run on, on TensorFlow or I think even CNTK. Uh, which was the or, or is the model from Microsoft, and yeah, uh, it's it was it was uh, fun to do that. Um, you saw how much effort goes into preparing your data, so you can feed it into to your uh, training network. And uh, so, co- what cognitive services is uses like the same mechanisms in the background, but it's just like a lot easier to use. Like uh, when you train images, you have to you have to bring the images all into the same size and, and do some preparation before you start the training. And with uh, cognitive services, you just upload the images and it will just train the stuff. And then you give it some samples like, yeah, this is a hot dog. And then it will know what a hot dog is and whatnot. That was really interesting. And I think um, training the network, that's like a speciality i think that would always be quite data driven i mean you can do it as a developer but it's usually just uh setting certain parameters uh preparing your data set and then letting it run through and then uh, compare the results uh, i think for us as developers there might in the future be libraries that we can just uh, include or apple you could have a core ml so a trained network that you can then install with your app uh, or use uh, and the same on android i think there's tensorflow and windows also has got their uh, machine uh, or their ai things to run so yeah uh, I, th- I think in the future it could be like installing a NuGet package maybe where you can just uh, install various uh, artif- trained networks that will then do a job like detect images uh, for certain things or yeah, uh, translation, though that's quite compute intensive. You'll probably always send that up to a server and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a huge world and I took from it that it's, it's mainly a data analytics world thing. So I got bored quite quickly, to be honest. But that's just me probably because I like to solve different problems but yeah it's a very interesting field uh so if you want to get started um there are there are various sources we'll be sure to drop one or two into the links below if you're really interested in going deep but otherwise i think the the cognitive services is a great route to just dabble with it and see what's possible yeah and i think the the fun thing is that all of us uh have unknowingly been training all of Google's models, because every time you enter a reCAPTCHA and you click on traffic lights or cars or bikers or storefronts or whatever they want from you this time, you're basically training Google's model to recognize those things. And given the amount of 
captures that we're filling in on a daily basis. I think those models are pretty well trained at this point. So commercializing that if they don't already do it would be a, quite a move. Absolutely. And I think that wraps our episode on artificial intelligence. We've been your hosts, Mark Halibone, Stephen Davison, and Gerald Slows. Let us know what your thoughts and experiences have been when working with AI on Twitter at nullpointers.io. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Stay safe. And until next week on Null Pointers. Mm-hmm.